Welcome to the Resilient Sucks podcast, brought to you by the Adaptability Movement. I'm Ben. And I'm Dan. And we're here to give you resources and tools to help you go from a state of surviving to thriving in life. Resilience sucks the life out of you. And while it's a necessary skill, it's one that we don't want to spend too much time in or we run out of capacity. We're here to talk to you more about how to adapt and find the opportunity in change so you can really go about thriving in your own life. Welcome to the Resilient Sucks podcast. Uh, today we're with Mark Aston. So Mark uh, is a former Channel 10 news presenter and current GM of Radio Italia Uno in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. So Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And you know we're here today to, to explore a bit of a story with yourself and there's, there's been a journey that you've gone through in life, particularly over the, uh, you know, the last five to six mm. years has been quite profound. And yep. um, one that's, that's rooted in um, addiction and, and about going through a process of um, some loss, some grief and, mm. and sort of the um, rising from the ashes almost of yeah. that, isn't it? Um, so what I'm really keen to do today is, is throw to you a little bit just to give the viewers or, and you know, uh, listeners a little bit more background on, on sort of where you were leading into that. Yeah, and, sure. and then let's, let's go deep. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that sounds good. It's a great, great way to start, Dan. Um, so just in a very general sense, and I'm obviously conscious of time and you know the structure of how you put these together, so I won't ramble on, but just to give you a bit of context, so I uh, lived with my grandparents when I was young. Mum was around, so was Dad, but Mum was very unwell. She was in and out of Glenside, which um, a lot of your listeners and, and viewers may not be uh, across. It, it was a mental institution. Yep. Um, back in the 60s and 70s on Glen Osmond Road, uh, on Fullerton Road, corner of Glen Osmond and Fullerton. So mum was in and out of, of Glenside for much of my younger years, you know, from a, and when, when I was conscious of what I was doing as a human being, so from five till, you know, 18, 19. So I had a bit of an unusual background in the sense that, as I say, I lived with my grandparents, plus mum, plus dad, then Kathy came along, my sister, and then my brother. Um, and that was that was in the late 60s, early 70s. Now, having said all of that, I loved it because I wasn't aware of what was going on. I mean, I loved, loved living with, you know, um, grandma and grandpa and, you know, sort of having two sets of parents, really. Yeah. Did I know mum was unwell? No, of course not. Not Certainly not at that age. So I, uh, and, and that went on for seven or eight years and then obviously, you know, going to primary school and then going to high school and stuff like that. Didn't do all that well at school and at the age of 13 and a half, 14, um, left school and started working for my father. And dad had, he had a gym, which sounds great, but it was in a very unusual location in Adelaide. It was in Heine Street. And back in those days, Heine Street was totally different to how it is now. I mean, it was great fun again. I loved it. I lived for it. But I was in amongst prostitutes, pimps, um, drug dealers, drug addicts. Criminals, con men, uh, bikies, rockers, um, skinheads. I mean, it was really, really interesting. And for us, my father and I, who were well known, it was safe for us. I mean, it wasn't great for people just wandering down Heine Street at 11 o'clock on a Friday night. So I worked for Dad for about seven years in that environment. So I guess with a combination of both that that early age stuff with Mum and, you know, even though I felt it was okay living and often sleeping with my grandparents as well because it was a small house. So that was a bit unusual as well. Um, And then that, uh, I had a pretty unusual upbringing. Again, I loved it, but it was very, very unusual. So that was, in a a general sense, my upbringing until I started working. And then at 18, I started working on the race course as a, a bookmaker's clerk. So I worked for a bookmaker. They called it penciling. I then became interested in... um, uh, in, in, in horse racing and, and, and having a bet, which actually occurred earlier than that at 14, but I became very serious about it when I was 18 and I could do right. it legally. Yeah. And, then, um, and then I became interested in becoming a race caller. So very, again, in a general sense, just to give you a sense of my career, from about the age of 25 to about 27, I was calling races for 5DN. Then I went to Darwin for two years, got back from Darwin, Darwin was hectic. You know, as you can probably yeah. imagine, I was single. There was a lot of lot of fun up there. Got back from Darwin in 1982 and then started working at the ABC as a sports reporter and a presenter uh, and then did that until 96 
and then from 96 through until five years ago, worked at Channel 10. And in between then, I worked at various radio stations. Yeah. So in a general sense, that's, that's a very, very quick overview of, of, of my life in the early days and what I have done and still doing, obviously being yeah, involved with Radio Italia Uno, being involved in the media industry. Yeah. Mm. And so I mean, that's, that's comprehensive in terms of like, you know, not, uh, I think there'll be some people out there listening to this and will be like, they've had a pretty sanitized childhood mm. and things have gone generally well for them and haven't had this sort of stuff. But mm. Family dinners and, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, dad getting home at five o'clock yeah. and everyone, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But there'll be None others. Of that no, no, right. And, you know, but there'll be many, many others that while they might not have the same story as you, they'll be like, well, my, my family wasn't the perfect Australian family, mm. or whatever you want to call it. Mm. And we had, you know, our flaws and our differences and things that were, um, you know, out, um, not outcast, but like you know, the outer end of the threshold, Absolutely. right? So yeah, yeah. I think you know it's really valuable to give people that that background and and to just understand a little bit more about kind of what what leads to you know shaping us as human beings and mm. and mm. also how we respond to that and how mm. we adapt. So mm. to talk to talk us through that, like what from you know growing up in that that environment and getting into the, the race calling and the um, and the racing industry, like mm. how did how did you make that transition into more of a media sort of pathway? Yeah. You yeah. know, were there early signs of of behaviours sort of in those you know, sort of eighteen to, to thirty, where yeah. some of the stuff that's that's come around in the last five or six years in, in the way of addiction Manifested was it, manifesting? Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's a good question. So if we go back to when I was fourteen, I started having a bet when I was fourteen. My father was a punter, and I should have mentioned that earlier. Dad was yeah. a punter, loved his punting had a bet to the last day he was on the planet. I think he actually lost on that day, but if you understand right. what I mean. Anyway, ran fourth. Oh, you know, you know, couldn't yeah. get out. Anyway, yeah. um, so I started punting at 14, and I remember the two horses that I backed. I backed, I had 50, Dad put the bet on for me. I had 50 cents each way on a horse called Binta Bibi and 50 cents each way on a horse called Coromandel Lorna. Now, that means nothing to you, but the yeah. point is both of them won. Yeah. And, of course, yeah. um, uh, that... that you know, that was good for me. I made a little bit of money, six, seven dollars, whatever it was. But I think what that probably did was that gave me whatever it was internally, mm. it gave me a buzz. It wasn't necessarily about the seven dollars, it just gave me a buzz. And so I remember quite vividly having a bet then on the Saturday with the seven dollars I'd, I'd won and I lost. Yeah. Didn't have a collect. So I experienced very quickly back in those days, Dan, what it was like to win and what it was like to lose, punting wise. Yeah. But obviously, I, I obviously also understood very quickly what it was like to be in the very early stages of addiction. And we're just talking about gambling here. Yeah. I mean, I, I was yeah. drinking at that age and yeah. I was smoking dope at that age. Um, but um, I, I guess for whatever reason, I have an addictive nature. And from that point on, I, I continue to bet. And whether I won or lost, is, well, whether I won or lost to a large degree is irrelevant. It's just yeah. that it became an instant addiction. Yeah. It became an instant addiction, and I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely lived yeah. for it. I lived for my drinking, and I lived for my smoking. I, I love that lifestyle. I just absolutely adored it. And then, of course, I was working for Dad at the time in Hindley Street. So all of those things were, it was very unusual and very different, which is what yeah. I said at the start. But I, I, I guess the fact that I've got a, an addictive uh, personality means that I have to be really careful about what I take up. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, before we even started, you know, we're talking about all sorts of addictions. Well, you can be addicted to going to the gym. Yeah. And that might be great for a couple of years where you get yourself a really nice cut body and you get yourself a nice girlfriend as a result of it and you go into a competition. But if that becomes a complete addiction, mm -hmm. then it's very, yeah. very, very dangerous. And so with all addictions, um, uh, they affect the person, but they also affect people around them. Agreed. And so getting, <clears throat> getting back to your original question, You've got to remember, I'm 65 now. I mean, we're talking when I was 14. That's 40 years ago, yeah. 50 years ago, 50, yeah. 60. That's 50 <laughs> years ago. So when you're doing something for such a long time, the addiction gets stronger. Yeah. The emotions start to change. The emotions are, are more intense, whether it be winning, losing, uh, and there's a whole range of other emotions that come with it. You know, going to the TAB, going into the hotel to have the bet, watching them jump out of the barrier. Uh, you know, um, having your next drink, holding it in your hand. Yeah. I'm getting very, you yeah. know, intimate here, visual, uh, visual here. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, rolling your joint, yeah. you know, getting excited that it's it's really good stuff yeah. apparently and I'm rolling it and then yeah. lighting it. It's not just the action, yeah. the, initial, the the end action, it's it's everything yeah. that comes with yeah. it. Agreed. So I think, 
I think as a result of that, with all of those three addictions I'm talking about, they're all super dangerous. Yeah. They're all super dangerous. And, um, and, and you know, uh, it, you know the, there comes a point where you're in it so deep, it's just part of your life. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that I was pissed on air when I was working at Channel 10 or, or Stone or using Coke when I was presenting at the ABC. I didn't do any of that. Yeah. I wasn't having bets while I was working. So yeah. it was controlled to a certain extent. Yeah. No, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I wasn't getting up in the morning searching for a beer sure. at five in the morning. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't that sort of a, yeah. uh, that yeah. sort of addict. But of course, when I was doing all these things, yeah. and in the end I was doing all of them together, yeah. when I was doing these things, what, what occurred was that it, it obviously got it obviously got to a point where it started to affect other people. Yeah. Of course it did, and there's yeah. you know I could go into that in detail, but in a general sense, those things affect other people in different ways. They affect you yeah. and they affect other people. And when they start to affect other people and they start to affect your work performance, they start to affect your honesty, your morals, mm -hmm. they start to affect your memory, yeah. they start to affect your relationships with people, they start to affect whether or not you are um, on time, in other words, your, your own personal um, uh, uh, you know, commitment to doing things and to, being, and to, being, and to compartmentalise your yeah. day and to, and, to, and to be able to do stuff <coughs> in a way like most people can, where you can concentrate for eight hours and do your job. When it starts to affect you in that way, then you know you're on a bit of a slide. Yeah, you're on a slide, and 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 I say though that it, it's easy to say, well, I should have done something about it. And in the end, I didn't because it all fell apart. But even at that level, it's difficult. It's difficult to get hold of it. It's difficult to grab mm -hmm. it by the scruff of the neck and say, enough's enough. I've got to get help. Yeah because you're so deeply entrenched in it, you just feel as though it's you. Yeah, yeah. Does like, that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And um, like, I can't pretend to, to understand what you've gone through, but it, like hearing some of the things you're saying, like it, it's something that it has a grip on you. It's because mm. an addiction is just a habit that's out of control, right? Yeah. So I don't think that's un, un characteristic that's, or unfair to say. So Absolutely, you know, it's dead accurate. One of the things that we talk about, um, we do like a habits analysis within what we do with, with our business. And we look at sort of, you know, helpful, unhelpful and, and sort of neutral and kind of try and, you know, it's like that inverted U sort of, um, uh, you know, inverted U graph. Mm. And you sort of like, what you're trying to do is you're trying to sort of, you know, mitigate things. So you're doing more of the good stuff, less of the bad totally. stuff. And, and sort sense. of, you know, and it's not about going, okay, I have an addiction to chocolate and I'm going to eat apples now. It's about going, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, minimize the chocolate because when I eat it in excess, it has this outcome, which is mm. that therefore means it's mm. a more of a negative thing. Mm. I'm going to move more into the neutral or it's a treat once a week or something. Absolutely. And so it's a, it's a pretty rudimentary kind of way of explaining it. Yeah. But, um, but you have to think of it at that level. Well, yeah, it's about understanding kind of actions, consequences. And the thing that's interesting to me, and I'm, I might just explore this a little bit more with you, is you mentioned about there was, there was a certain amount of um, functionality to what you're doing for some time. Mm. Like you're able to manage that. Yeah. Right. And so to me, what that says is that you, you mentioned having an addictive personality. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge a little bit, and I could be completely wrong here, mm. but if you're able to mod moderate or, mm. or modulate the um, the addiction in that way because you place enough importance on something you go well I'm going to compartmentalize it here mm. and I'm only going to use it over here mm. well to me that says that you know <clears throat> at every moment you have a conscious choice and you actually were making a conscious choice in each of those situations mm. it was only once you lost control of that a little bit that it mm. that it became such a problem that that's mm. when mm. you know things started to sort of yeah. die for you yeah yeah that's a fair point um, and we spoke about this uh, before we did, we did. Uh, the interview on Radio Italia Uno. Uh, and look, I, I agree with you in part, but I think if it was that simple, no one would be, uh, no so, one would have addictive issues because they would, they would perhaps <coughs> get help from someone like you mm. or a psychologist or a doctor, whoever it might yeah. be, and they would change it. I think the and I, I'm, look, I don't dispute what you're saying. I guess all I can do is 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 use my own experience to say that I sort of know that, yet it's taken me 50 years to do something about it yeah. as a result of something that went wrong. So when I say that, that's not to shame you by any means. No, what no, no, to, no. It's actually yeah. to empower you to say yeah. that at any moment, every every one of those, so there will be an urge, I imagine, there'll be like, and, and a very strong urge, there I'm is. guessing, like yeah. that sort of, it, it would be so much easier to satisfy that than it would be yeah. to deny it, or that it would be 100%. to change and do something else, 100%. Right? And it's the easy way out, Right. 100%. What I'm what I guess I'm trying to demonstrate is that there was there have been times when you've done that 
and there's been a lot of times where you've done that, which means you're capable of doing it. So it's it there is a element a of it's, there. yeah, there's yeah. there's something to build upon. It's it's not to say that it's um, totally hopeless. It's easy or it's you know it's available to everyone, but it's just to say that like once you become conscious and a little bit self-aware in that moment, you can acknowledge that I chose to do it this time, and that might be okay. Mm. But that might have been the best thing for you mm. in that moment, mm. because if had you not done that, it would have led to further mm. harm, right, mm. or, yeah. or more immediate harm. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, you know, the whole thing is like you know we we never want to inflict harm on ourselves. However, sometimes we make choices that lead to that. Mm. Um, mm. Are you going to avoid the immediate harm now, or are you going to avoid the you know you're going to choose to look at the long term first? Well, you're probably going to avoid the immediate stuff. It's right in your face. Get that. So um, it, it's absolutely not to, it's more about empowerment. It's more to say that he's a tool, he's a way of reflecting on your own self-worth that says that there's, um, there, it exists with inside you, that there is elements of this that um, you can influence further mm. um, and that you've done that in the past as, as to celebrate that. the tools and the knowledge. Absolutely, yeah. And this is the thing, <coughs> like we, don't, we don't generally get taught this stuff. We don't get taught in school how to, like budget, you know, generally we don't get taught how to make a meal. We, you know, we do maths and science and whatever, but mm. where are the, the life skills? Where are the coping strategies? Where are the, mm. um, and the you are alone. systems on how to, to process emotions in a healthy way rather than yeah. just suppressing and denying them? Mm. So. On uh, on that, in terms of the emotional sort of things, like you, you've obviously described some pretty, um, I mean, very significant things that, that have occurred throughout that sort of childhood mm. and into your early sort of life. Mm. What what has there been any reflection on, um, you know, an emotion that that's particularly kind of gripped you through this, or that maybe has influenced what mm. you've the path that you've sort of taken, sort of in addiction, but also then, you know, rebounding out of it? Well, that, that, and that's a good question too. <clears throat> it's a question without notice, but I, I, I think there probably is. There's, there's a couple of things, um, uh, and this will sound sort of weird, but for a couple of, on a whole range of levels, but, you know, I've, I've never, particularly when I was at school, even though I had a few mates, I had good mates and everyone loved me because I was funny, but I never had a lot of confidence. In fact, a girl, friend of mine that I went to school with 45 years ago, we caught up the other day and we were talking about that. We were both saying how we were so 14 years of age, we you know, liked each other, we never went out with each other, we, neither one of us had any confidence. So maybe I wasn't yeah. alone in that. But yeah. I, I was very, very self-conscious when I was young of myself and of my looks and, how, and what I said and my, a whole range of things. Now, why that's the case, I don't know. I've got a few ideas, but I don't yeah. know exactly. But the thing I was particularly, particularly uh, unconfident about or not confident about was women. And I found it really difficult to talk to women when I was young, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And I can remember, uh, and and of course, like a lot of people, I I hate rejection. It's like being a salesman, you hate that no. Mm -hmm. But most people who are good salesmen say, no worries, your loss, move on to the next one. I can remember going, a girl liked me at school and she invited me to her place at St. Peter's. I'll never forget it. I had two or three quick glasses of beer before I caught a cab there. I was 14, 13, 14, 15 maybe. Don't know where I got the beer from, but they were for courage. Yeah. Turned up. I knew she sort of liked me. Some of the girls were pushed. Anyway, lovely. Got there. Mum and dad were there, brother and sister. We spent the night just chatting away, playing games as you do at 14. Mm. At the end of the night, I went to the door and I thought, do I just give her a peck on the chair? You know, I don't know, what do I do here? Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in a mess. Yeah. Got to the door, was about to give her a peck on the cheek and she went, oh, no, no, no. Let me, let me explain to you how, what, what that did to me. I then, the cab was waiting for me. I walked from there to the cab and, and I'll be careful with the, the language I use here, but I was beside myself. Yeah. I was horrified, yeah. not embarrassed, yeah. but I was devastated. It was right. like unbelievable <clears throat> rejection. Like yeah. it was, it was like this massive. It was like all the rejection you've had in your life yeah. in one great big massive whack of burst. Yeah. Of, you know this. Way. And it took me a. It took me a number of weeks. I took days off. I was depressed. Yeah. Yeah. I was worried. I was concerned. I was crying. I mean, yeah. not, not uncontrollably, yeah. but I, in my head. Yeah. Now, is that normal? I don't think it is, but that's how it affected me. And so again, long way around uh, answering your question, I think think rejection is something that 
for whatever reason, speaking in the third person here, yeah. I think the rejection is something that really triggers me. Sure. Really triggers me. Yeah. Whether it be sales, as I said to you before, yeah. I'm yeah, selling yeah. now for Radio Tell You Know, when someone says, look, we love the station, but we don't, Ugh. Yeah. it's like a dagger in the heart. Yeah. That was not like a dagger in the yeah. heart. Yeah. That was worse. Yeah. So I think rejection is one thing. Yeah. Um, and why I was like that, I don't know. Yeah. And as a result of that rejection, and again, I'm just guessing here because I don't know, but as a result of that rejection, as, as you guys would know, you know, doing the work you're doing, when, when, when you're feeling, when, when there's something missing or when you're feeling unwell or y you don't feel right, then there are a couple of ways around it. Either sort yourself out, you know, in the, in the traditional way, whatever mm -hmm. that might be, yeah. or... Have a drink and get pissed, yeah. or yeah. have a bet, yeah. or have a have a joint. It, it's filling a fundamental that, human need that is being unmet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that and, was the way I yeah. probably did it and yeah. started doing it. Sure. That that I mean, that, and again, there was a question question without notice, but I think that's one part of yeah. of of of, um, of how a lot of these issues occurred and how I yeah. eventually, you know, became addicted to a number of things that in the end were no good for me at all. Sure. Did that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because it made no sense to me. No, right? no, no, it made perfect sense. And, you know, in fact, I, could you repeat it well, back to look, me? Look, I think a lot of people will actually relate to, to that, especially as young males. Like, I know that I, I was like that. Like, I was mm. um, horribly um, insecure as a, as a child, always trying to prove myself to others. It's something mm. that I wasn't overly aware of at the time. Mm. Um, mm. I wasn't confident around women at all. Mm. Um, and, well, there you, know, you go. You, I wasn't you, alone. You spoke about yeah. your, um, you know, for me it was a twenty-year reunion. I, I went to as well. Spoke to an ex-girlfriend also, and I bet she said she liked you, and you never made a move. No, no. We, we, we actually. I said to her, I was like, you were the one person in school that I actually felt safe around, oh, like okay. that I felt cared for, like mm. that understood me. Mm. Oh, good. And oh, she was a girlfriend, was she? She was a girlfriend, uh, not for you know a, a long period of time. But yeah. it was interesting because she sort of said to me that. She felt like I changed after that, and that um, I was unapproachable and too good for people around me. In and, her mind, you did. Well, other people said so there was this perception of me that was someone that was um, thinking I was better than other people around me. Mm. Maybe because I wasn't comfortable engaging, maybe because I was insecure, and I was always trying to do something better. And that to, comes across for people aloof. to notice me. Yeah. To, because I wanted to feel noticed, I wanted to feel connected with mm. people, mm. and I wasn't getting that need met. So then. You know, my way of trying to improve that was to do better. If I'm a better person, if mm. I'm better at sport, then people mm. will notice me. Mm. And you I know, like, understand that. The, yeah. I'm noticing this more now. Like this was probably a couple of years ago, and I've definitely sort of grown from that feedback and that experience because I was horrified to hear that someone thought that when I was crying, like you crying on the inside, like feeling this lack of self worth and mm. confidence. And for me, like I've been doing some work, and I shared this with you yesterday with the Southern Men's Gathering, yeah. um, a, a not-for-profit association in Adelaide, um, and I'm volunteering and I'm, I'm telling one of my stories at, at their event. Um, mm. It's upcoming in November, so mm. a month away now, mm. from the 4th to the 6th. Down Sounds in like a great organisation. It is, and, yeah. and we've spent a year preparing for that. Mm. And you know, going through this process of understanding yourself, understanding where... Uh, different behavioural patterns came from in terms of you know, your relationship with your father, with your siblings, with your mother, like mm. the needs mm. that weren't met and then how you manifested you know, a, a, a coping strategy mm. for that. Mm. And 100%, one of mine was, was that, well, I've got to prove myself to people, I've got mm. to prove my worth. Mm. And so in sport, and you know, I mean, I'm, I, I'm going to guess, and I could be wrong, but media, like in terms of, they, they carry a, a certain level of worth or status oh. in society, right? So, yeah. And so when people, when you start to do well at one of those things, people notice you for it mm. and it fills that gap, it fills that need because you start to feel, oh, I have mm. self-worth. Well, not, not with me, but, but, right. but in a general, okay. but yeah. in a, in, you're right, 100%. Yeah. That, that wasn't me yeah. and it's not some people in the media and I certainly don't, not yeah, and I'm yeah. certainly not being, I mean, it's, I think it's with anything, but just, just to go on that point because sure. it's, it's worth uh, exploring, um, I, I didn't like being uh, noticed. I didn't yeah. like being recognised. Yeah, yeah, I like the pay packet. I, I like the job. Yeah. But I, but I never, I, I, I never strutted around. I say this quite yeah. sincerely. I never strutted around. Yeah. In fact, my father said to me, "You got to be. Yeah. You got to be." I noticed when that lady came up to you and said, "Hello, Mark. We love you on TV." You felt a bit. Yeah. You were a bit embarrassed, and that she said, he said that might come across as being yeah. a bit aloof. You got to play the game a bit yeah, more. And sure. I said, "Well, I sort of do, Dad, but I don't want to go." Yeah, thanks, aren't I? Great. 
Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I, so I didn't like that yeah. side. Of I guess it. when I when I say that, I'm talking more about feeling noticed and valued. Yeah. So when, mm. when I, I use status because it it um mm. it, it's this perception of self worth. Yeah. It's not actually self worth. No, no. It's a replacement for it. Mm. Um. And so what what I wanted was to feel noticed and to feel valued. Mm. Mm. Um. And I'm not sure if that was similar for you or or you really just didn't want that attention at all. I but, didn't want it. Okay. No. Yeah. No. No. I honestly didn't want it. And again, just to make it clear, as as you've now made made that that point clearer <clears throat> if someone said to me you did really well um uh you know last night that was a great performance or you hosted well or gee you were funny of course you feel okay about that but i but but i didn't use that as a as a as a uh, you know as a, as a fuel to keep me going sure no okay. i no, i didn't yeah no no i didn't yeah. I, I didn't and and i say that quite honestly it wasn't something that you know i mean i didn't i didn't push it away yeah and I didn't say don't say that, but yeah. it, it, I didn't walk away with my chest puffed out. And yeah, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, too? of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, because I know it's, it's a bit. Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure whether others do or not. But yeah. and since leaving the media in terms of on camera, yeah. And obviously, I do a little bit of radio. Have I missed that notoriety? Not at all. If I yeah. go back in, yeah. I'll get it again. That's yeah. okay. I have not missed it. I've, I've, yeah. I haven't missed the freebies. Yeah. I haven't missed the notoriety. Okay. I haven't missed what comes with yeah. it because there's a lot yeah. of things that come with it. People want to buy you this. and yeah. I mean, I'm still well known, but yeah. they want to do this. They want to put mm. you in a car and they'll say, well, you know, don't worry about paying for it. We just want sure. you to go. Or yeah. I, I miss none of that. Yeah. I, I Honestly, I miss none yeah. of it. And, and yeah. some people do. Some people, yeah. as we spoke about yeah. the other day, some people fall in a hole as a result of losing that job because that job was their identity. Yeah. I left it under more more tricky circumstances. It wasn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't the right way I would have liked to have left. But the point is, even if I had have made the decision to leave because yeah. I would start a new business, yeah. I wouldn't go, yeah, but people aren't going to recognise me now. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to get those freebies. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I'm not going to go to all those parties. Yeah. I had no interest in any of that. Cool. Okay. None. Yeah. It's good I did them. I did yeah. them. Yeah. Don't yeah. get me wrong, yeah. but I had, I had no. I didn't miss any of that. Yeah. Okay. And don't miss any of yeah. that. Do you th and was that was that an always thing, or was that just something that as you like grew a bit older and matured a bit, that you had less of a an inclination for, or was just never there in the first place? I don't think it was ever there. Yeah. Right. I really don't. I mean, in the early days, I started, well, you know, when I, when I came back from Darwin, I came back in 83 and then did the 84 grand final. Um, uh, I was on the boundary, first time working at the ABC on camera. And it had a bit of fun. It was a bit of a funny thing where the guy swore, you know, Duncan Fosdyke swore, and that got a lot of coverage and, and all that. And then from there, obviously, I did more TV. I did a lot of radio. I called footy. I, don't get me wrong. I love what I did. Mm. But even at that point, it was just a, it was a job. Okay. It wasn't a job in the media for me. Yeah. You know, isn't this great? Aren't I great? You know, Ricky. No, it, it, I was never like that. Yeah. And I think most, I hope most people who know me within the media and know me generally, I hope and I would be pretty confident that they'd say the same thing yeah. in the sense that they'd say, no, he, he, he wasn't stuck up. Yeah. He wasn't. And I'm not saying yeah. everyone in the media is. I mean, you meet doctors like that, yeah. dentists, yeah, veterinarians. You, you can't categorise people based on just no. one thing they do. So I just all. make that point because, no. I mean, I have a lot of dear friends in the media and, yeah. and, and the media has been wonderful to me. But And so I guess the other thing that I need to make the point of is I'm not saying that I didn't appreciate what I was doing. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm yeah. very lucky. Um, it just didn't. And I did national stuff. I mean, I yeah. was thinking the other. In fact, it was Bathurst this weekend. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I did ten Bathursts. I worked on on the on on on, on ten Bathursts on Channel 10's international coverage, and no, I wasn't the host and I wasn't the commentator. But I did comedy for them, yeah. and I did lots of roaming around, and I did the same for MotoGP. In fact, I hosted a lot of the stuff for MotoGP. I actually hosted it yeah. at the track yeah. at Phillip Island. I did ten Melbourne Cups. Uh, I did. You know the Olympics, the Commonwealth Games, the uh, Sydney to Hobart. I did ten Sydney to Hobart's, yeah. and again, when I say that, I don't mean I hosted the hosted the coverage, but I was yeah. involved yeah. In, a, in a significant yeah. way. And I, I'm not saying that to impress. I'm just simply saying that I did a lot of great stuff, yeah. and I'm appreciative of that. But I don't look back on it and say, "Oh, I wish I was there now." Yeah. Gee, I, I really miss that. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. But I've moved on. Yeah. And if I get an opportunity to do it again, well, then great. But if I don't, that's fine. I don't want to. I don't, one thing I don't want to do is I don't want to be constantly going, 
oh, I really miss what I, what mm. I had. I've got to get back there some. Yes, of course I'd like to do commercial radio eventually again at some level. But if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. So I'm not clawing my, trying to claw my yeah. way back. And I think that's a sign that suggests that I have moved on, at least psychologically, yeah. from what I had to what I've got now. Yeah. Which is a, a tick for me. Absolutely. I mean, you we, know, it was a bumpy road, but it was a tick. We talk about things. A few potholes. Like, yeah, a few potholes. That's one way of putting it. A couple of large explosions. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, that's okay. Yeah. Well, we you know talk about um, you know the, everything is constantly changing. Even when you have a source of pain, like if you try and point to that pain and you hold your finger in that spot, it won't be the same. Like when you give it your full attention, it'll there'll be subtle changes in it. It might move slightly. It mm. might you know um, go from being dull to sharp or something like that. So when we talk about trying to get back to something, you can't really go back to anything because no. it doesn't exist anymore. No, it's, it's past its time. And so then good it's not about not wanting to go back to something is where do you want to move towards? Well, and that's it, right. And it could be, like you said, it could be an, a commercial job in radio. Mm. It doesn't mean it was the commercial job in radio you had no, previously. It'll be it's different. just another, exactly. It'll be different people, Agreed. different show, different yeah. era, different me. Yeah. All yeah. of that. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. I, I agree. It's just a different way of thinking because often people, they're not thinking about it like that. They're thinking about the, the, the from a deep sense of loss, from a mm. thing that they, mm. they, they maybe they didn't value enough, or they did value a lot, and it was it was sort of taken away from them quite swiftly, and mm. and then it's like that um, that regret that that mm. sort of hole that's left after that. What, what I would say, just <coughs> as a little to a little side thing here, is there were times during I can remember talking to various journalists and our makeup lady and various cameramen when I was at Channel Ten, particularly Channel Ten. And particularly when I wasn't 100% well and things were starting to go downhill, um, there were times where I got very frustrated and I often said, oh, this bloody job. Mm. One thing I would say to people is that, okay, sure, if you absolutely hate your job and it's not suited in any way, well, then try and do something about that. Mm. You know, be positive. Deep down inside, I love that job. I loved it at Channel 10 and, and in the media. And all. I, I, I really did. But because of, of, of frustrations, which can happen, there were many times where I thought, bloody hell, you know, got to be a better better bloody job than this. Or I mean, I'd get quite annoyed. What I would say is I, I, I definitely know now how lucky I was and that we should, particularly if it is a job that you're okay about and above, in other words, okay or love, try and understand, try and appreciate it then yeah. because it's the same with... You know, it's the old cliche. I mean, you know, my, my wife, I'd love to be with Judith again. You know, I didn't appreciate her while I had her. Now I yearn her because I understand how lucky I was. And it's the same with, with, with my job. So my message to, 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 to those who are in a, a situation where they get a bit frustrated here and there, but they know in their hearts that they like the job, just understand, maybe put yourself 20 years into the future and, under, and, and think to yourself, and hopefully you'll think to yourself, I really appreciated that job because mm. now I don't have it. I miss it. Yeah. It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Like I think we often just get caught up so much in the day to day sort mm. of requirements of life. It's yeah. like we, you know you've got to get up, you got to make breakfast, you got to do you know prepare the kids, you've mm. got to you know get ready for work, you head to work, and you come back at the end of the day, and you know you get a few more moments with the kids before they go to bed, and it's like and it's on again for the next and, day. and it is, and it becomes yeah, it's this sort of, it really is. It's like the hamster wheel of life, and yeah. somehow we need to develop sort of strategies for stepping outside of that from time to time mm. um, and maybe re-imagining re life in a way that doesn't require us to be inside that wheel as often as we are. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you've articulated that well. And, and to that end, I'd also say that my gratitude and appreciation for what I have now is totally different to, 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 to how I felt about things, say, even 10 years ago when I was driving around in a $100,000 car I owned you know, a million dollar home and I had a beautiful family. I mean, I've still got Judith and Bridget. They still talk to me, which is wonderful. We get on well. So I had all these things, right? These glittering, what do you call them? You know, glittering things. Not just physically, but also that notoriety. Um, but what, what I'd say there is that uh, now, when I put my head on my pillow at night, snuggling up to Toby, I honestly feel blessed that I've got a pillow with a clean pillow sheet mm. on it and that I've got enough sheets to make sure that I'm warm yeah. and that I have a beautiful dog and that I have a bathroom that I can go to in the morning even though I'm renting where I can have a shower a warm shower. so I appreciate all of those things that I didn't even give a second consideration to when I was working 
Yeah. And just on that treadmill, as you say, that yeah. treadmill of life, I, I just appreciate all those things a lot more. I really do. Yeah. I mean, would I like to have a nicer car? I suppose yeah. I would. Would I like to own my own house again? Probably. Is it, would I like to be able to go overseas like I did when I had Bunny? Probably. But really, is it? It's not life or death for me. Yeah. It's not. It's not the thing that really feeds you. It's is not. It? It's yeah. not. Not at all. I yeah. mean, of course, I'd like to have a. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, of course, I'd like to have things that are a bit more shiny, in a way, but nowhere near as much as. I have a totally different attitude to what it was like back then compared sure. to now is what I'm saying. Yeah, mm. amazing. Mm. So we, we've alluded a lot to that, that slippery slope and that time. Can, mm. can we go and just sort of articulate that a little bit yeah. more for, for our audience? And, sure. and, and, and like really about sort of, you know, where, where that pivotal moment sort of became obvious to you and, mm. and the decision to address it and then, you know, where to from there? Yeah, yeah sure. So... Um, uh, was just a moment there where I was presenting sport with Rebecca and uh, I'd finished sport and I didn't feel very well so I just went over to my desk and then my general uh, my t uh, the um, uh, my news director came over and said are you okay and I said not really I said I don't know I just don't feel that well and I was going through a lot of stuff at that time and look you know what I'm about to say now is it'll sound pretty basic but there, there and I there is a there was a, there was a lot of underlying other issues in my life, like everyone has, that helped build this up. There was a whole range of things going on, nothing illegal or anything, nothing nothing bad, but just general stuff. And I can remember not feeling that well, so I went down. They took me downstairs, and we went downstairs, and I had a water down at the cafe downstairs with my two bosses actually, and I just lost it and I started crying. I was I don't know what I was crying about. I then rang my daughter. She picked me up, and I went home and um, Judith was there obviously and I was just uncontrollable I was really upset I had no idea why sort of I sort of did but I sort of didn't I didn't know what I was doing anyway I recovered from that and two days later I went back to work and they very kindly offered me the opportunity just to come in and present sport rather than coming in at nine they said look we want to look after your health why don't you come in at four present sport this is what we'll pay you anyway uh, about a week later we had an event and uh, at, and I, I, I you know, um, certainly got um, extremely drunk uh, prior to the event, and uh, and then um, and then I was uh, I got to a point where you know I had to leave the event, and it became apparent that I was really unwell and obviously inebriated in the in the case of people visually seeing me, but it was more than that. Right. I make no no excuses, none whatsoever, and uh, and then uh, the next morning. You know, it, it was apparent that I just couldn't work anymore at Channel 10. So I stopped working at Channel 10. And uh, obviously that affected my family, that affected my daughter, my friends, people who watch me on TV, yeah. all of that sort of stuff. And then 12 months later, I left uh, I left 5AA because I was still working at 5AA. How I did that, I'll never know, but mm. I had to earn something. Mm. And and then when I left 5AA, that's when things really went downhill because I was, un, you know, I was... You know, not working at all. Judith and I had, uh, had just split, so I had a little bit of money, and uh, and that's when I sort of went on some massive benders, and that went on for about three years, um, oh. and uh, yeah, and and you know that was very unpleasant. Uh, I was living by myself. I had the money. You know, I was renting. I had the money because of, of the money split between the two, Judith and I, and um, and and so I was just in a world of pain. But on the outside, everyone saw me still as the funny, happy-go-lucky guy. That was all good. Had a beautiful dog, had Jack, uh, but you know, in a, in a general sense, uh, you know, I was in a bad way. It's going from bad to worse, really. You know, pretty pretty well high all day, every day, very unwell at night, um, and that cycle would continue. And uh, then on uh, on this particular day, my sister rang, uh, my best mate rang me, Brad, and said, "Do you want to go down to Glenelg for something to eat?" So I said, "Yeah, sure." I said, "Be there at six. So I got there, and my sister was there. And they said, in a general sense, they said, look, we're very concerned about you, you know, we're very worried about you, we both love you, um, you know, we're here to help, what can we do? Yeah. And again, I could go into all the details and that, but the point is, uh, that was, I don't know, left there about 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. Next morning, I was walking Toby, uh, Jack, I should say, at the park, 10 o'clock, about 9.30, 10 o'clock, a phone call came through from the owner of um, the Hayter Clinic, which was in Melbourne, 
because I'd that night gone home and gone on the internet right. and looked around yep. and made some emails and said, because we decided that I'd go to rehab. Yep. That's what we decided, yep. which I left out, which is key. Next morning, he rings Jackson Oppie, lovely guy, like you guys, you know, you know, philosophical, helpful, sort of, you know, into all of that sort of stuff, which is great. And uh, anyway, we spoke for about 40 minutes. I probably cried for 30. He was hard. He, he knew who I was, but he didn't know who I was. He knew that I was, he knew I had a profile, but but he reached out and, and he said, I want to help you. And anyway, so he asked me some questions. Then it got pretty heavy, almost like it was my dad. He didn't care. He said, you're telling me a lie now? Or tell, how, how, how long are you using? Where do you get your stuff from? What do you do? I'm thinking, well, hang on, hang on. In the end, um, he said, I've got a room for you. He said, he said, um, meet me in Melbourne when you arrive from Adelaide tomorrow. He said, get the night, get the seven o'clock in the morning, meet me, I'll be there at 10 o'clock to pick you up. Wow. So the next morning, you know, I had to organise things with Jack and all that. I had to take him up to my sister's. And uh, Next morning, uh, 10 o'clock, I arrived, got into the car, never met him before, shook his hand. He said, how are you? I said, yeah, good. He said, how are you? I said, shit. Obviously, I'm shit. I'm sitting in the car with the guy who runs the bloody hater clinic. <laughs> what do you reckon? And he said, no, you're not. He said, you're good. Yeah. And uh, he said, the fact that you're here is great. And uh, so we drove down to Geelong, had a great chat. Um, and they, they've got a place at Geelong and also Essendon. So Geelong is like a concentration camp. I mean that in a nice way. Yeah. Uh, it's just stricter. You know, bed by nine, TV off by eight, no phones, yeah. no, no, no going out. Unless yeah. you go out, you go to the doctor, you take someone with all that. Which was good, you know. Cook everyone cooks, you know. Very, very strict. Uh, anyway, so I got there. I'll never forget it. I got there, right? Got in the front foyer, you know. Jackson said, "Hey, this is Mark. Mark Hastings, everyone. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good to hear you. You know, one of the guys mm -hmm. come over there, the lady behind the counter. Hey, how you going? Yeah, how you going? He said, "Mate, I just got to get a couple of things if I can." He said, "Yeah, mobile phone. Yeah, sure." He said, "I've got to grab that." He said, "You've read the stuff, haven't you?" I said, "Yeah." So he's got a computer, he says, I've brought that. He said, you can use that, but not here. You can use it in Essendon. Mm -hmm. But he said, no worries. He said, anyway, TV. Yeah, 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 worked in TV. Yeah, fantastic. He said, I, I, I had a look at a bit, on, a bit of you on to Love your work. You know, so this is how it's all going down. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is easy. This is great. <laughs> you know, this is, I reckon this is going to be okay. <laughs> so anyway, this went on for about half an hour, you know, and then they did some tests and checked, you know, range of things that I wasn't coming in with anything and all that anyway that was all fine so he said mate all ready to go fantastic he said just wander through that door he said I'll be there in a second so I wandered through the door right and of course everyone else is there sitting on a couch right they're watching TV I think it was three o'clock in the afternoon whatever it was anyway so I that's okay wander in guy walks over he's one of one of them one of the addicts he said mate I'm Mark I'm looking after you. he said let me introduce you to everyone so that was all fine and then I said, mate, this is good. He said, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Two minutes later, the guy comes through with the other girl. Totally different. Totally different. There was no friendliness. <coughs> there was the, it, was, it, was, it was about being committed. It was no, back, no, no, no talking over one another. It was about all these rules and regulations. Not, not stuff like your scum and, you know, you, mm. you, all of that. Not, yeah, not, sure. not, not putting you down, but just saying, mate, Mark, sorry. You, you, you got us at the moment. We're talking to everyone. You need to be part of this, mate. You, you're here for three months. It's not a holiday. Like, it was totally different yeah, to what... Yeah. But it's what I needed. Yeah. And then I went to bed that night. And I do tell this story when I do my chats to people publicly. I went to bed that night and I put my head on the pillow and I thought, my God, it's come to this? But then I stopped and I thought, no, 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 don't think that. Think what Jackson said to you in the car. Don't worry about it's come to this. Forget that. Park that. No, this is the start of the rest of your life. Yeah. And and so I had to think that way. Now, have I been perfect from then to... I mean, I haven't used at all, but have I been perfect? Am I the perfect person just because I went to rehab and it's been five years and I haven't... No, of course not. I mean, I still go through frustrations. I'm still rude to people. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still undisciplined, you know, I, I, a lot of things. But I'm certainly a lot better than I was, and I'm moving up rather yeah. than moving down. Yeah. So I want to make that point, and I think it's really important. I don't want people thinking, wow, what a great story. Mark did this, he was down here, mm. then he went to rehab, and he's yeah. great. Yeah. So it doesn't work that yeah. way for me. Yeah. I don't want people to think, perfect, next time I see Mark, he's going to be great, everything's going to be cool. You know, yeah. It's not like that. It's just that 
I'm more aware of the things I need to work on yeah. now, and and I am working on them, and it's slow. Yeah. I wish it was quicker. It's slow, but at least I'm heading in the right direction. Yeah. I haven't plateaued. Yeah. I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. Now, wherever that is in the end, I don't know, but at least I'm moving in the right direction. So that was my experience for the, at the first day of rehab, Standing. which was totally different to the last day where, um, where, where at the end of the three months, I had to, um, uh, I had to do an interview with uh, Jackson because you had to sort of basic, not prove, but you had to basically go through a process where you had to explain what you'd learned and what you were going to do in the future. And uh, that was pretty rigorous, but I've got that on tape. And, um, and, and that, yeah, and it was just totally different. Does that mean that when I came out of rehab and went home, everything was cool? No, but the point was I, I was on the right tra trajectory, which was yeah. good. And I often look back and I think, wow, yeah, that, you, got, you went to rehab, my God. Yeah. If your dad was alive, they'd be horrified. But it is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, it's, it's, am I the only one? No. You know, will I ever be the only one that goes to rehab or will I ever be the only one that has a, you know, you know, a, a major issue in your life where things fall apart and you lose everything you've got to rebuild? No. Yeah. No. So that was, that was all really interesting. It really that, is. That little, like, that little experience of getting there and getting into the place and meeting everyone and being there for three, it was really interesting. It's insight that most people won't won't go through in their own lives, or they, won't, not. they might not even be surrounded by it. So to hear a story like that and mm. to be able to learn from an experience like yours, I mean, well, the interesting thing was too. I mean, I was with all sorts of addicts there, and they're all sorts of different characters. I mean, one was a guy who owned a pub in Melbourne. He was a lovely guy, family addicted to cocaine. That was just the way it was. He was a lovely guy though, you know. And then there was a <coughs> girl who was uh, an ice addict who wasn't an ice addict in the true sense that that she had two businesses to run and she. Then, then something happened and she lost some money and she had to get a third job, so she had to stay up later. So she started using ice to stay up later and then she got addicted to it. So mm. she wasn't the typical ice addict. But yeah. then there was a heroin addict who was. There was a compulsive liar. No names, yeah. no pact. Compulsive liar. And then there was yeah. a guy from who, who, who just spent the last four, four months in jail for beating a guy up because he you know, uh, broke into a house when he was off, off his face. Then there was an alcoholic and then there was a sex addict and then there was... A whole range of other, it was very 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 it was a very unusual group of people and do I keep in contact with them one one person I do yeah so the rest no but the point is I didn't feel uncomfortable with them because yeah. in a way if you go back 40 years they were the people I was knocking around with in Holy yeah, okay. Street they're exactly yeah. the people yeah they're exactly the actually yeah. interesting the only ad, 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 addict person the only person who who, who, who wasn't in there that I would have related to even better was a gambling addict, but there was no gambling addict right. there. Maybe that's sort of not passed anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating and I really admire um, your willingness to be open about it and share mm. it, like to, to not, you know, feel so tightly or so, you know, to carry anything that says that I have to hide this, like, from anyone, mm. because it's, it's actually a story of courage. Yeah. Like, you know, not... It has its consequences, though. Uh, Do yeah, you want to hear absolutely. one? Absolutely. You go. Briefly? Yeah. Well, and, and this is why a lot of people don't share their stories, because it can affect your opportunity to get jobs. Yeah. People will say to you, to your face, they'll say, mate, yeah. fantastic, yeah. really proud of you, you're fantastic. Mm. Then they walk away and they go, he wants a job with us, just not sure, mm. you know, no, nah, not sure. I get that, and, I have, and yeah. I have no problem with that at all. So all I'm saying is... Not everyone has to be like me and put their hand up and say, this is what's going on, because it will have no, consequences in that way. Yeah. So I, I, I'm just, I just want to make that It also that becomes point. a pretty good filter though, right? Like yeah. you're going to attract like a really niche group of people now that, that yeah. can see beyond that. Well, hopefully, And you're going yeah. to surround yourself with more and more of those people. Yeah. And that's what's going to bring more prosperity to life. Well, well hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Look, look, absolutely. I mean, look, my dear friend, who's my best friend, said you should never have gone public with this because it's going to hurt you in the end. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. And if I had my time again, would I have done it? I don't know. Because obviously when I came out of rehab, uh, a journalist at the, at the advertiser rang and said, we'd love to do a story. Yeah. And after a while I said, look, that's fine. It was two pages, two yeah. full pages. Wow. Um, and it was everything that I've just told you then and more. But, you know, it did help a lot of people. Um, did it make me feel any better? I'm not really sure. But I know it helped a lot of people. I didn't do it for money. I didn't do it for yeah. sympathy. I didn't do it to big note myself. I just simply did it because, as I said to you before the interview, you said, what message do you reckon? 
I just did it because I just want people to understand that these things can happen and creep up at you very mm -hmm. quickly. Yeah. And then the whole world explodes and some people don't make it back. Yeah. And I just want people to understand if, if, if it's possible that when things are starting to, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself here, but when things start to go slightly askew, just be conscious of it and maybe take some action because I don't want anyone to go through what I went through. Yeah. I really don't. I mean, it was the deepest of darkest holes and I don't want anyone to go through that. It's just horrible. And it's horrible. It's not just horrible for me. It's horrible for everyone around you. Yeah. And in my case, it was quite public. So, yeah. you know. Look, I, I admire you for your, for your vulnerability and for the willingness to, to be open about it. I think it's, um, it's a key trait of being authentic. Um, mm. It's something that I um, really appreciate. People like that in my life, you've been very generous with us already like just in the short time that we've known each mm. other and yeah, thank you um well, and it's a pleasure yeah, sharing things and um uh, you know I, I commend you on where on where you are and who you mm. are um yeah. and I, i'm not sure you know how you feel about that but like oh, no, certainly I, like i take it on board yeah cool no i take it on board i really I, I, that's very kind of you yeah and yeah i mean it's it's great you know great what you guys are doing you know i mean you you, you, you obviously—I don't know you very well at all—but I just wish you weren't as tall. As tall as you were. It's a bit of a bit of a running gag, guys. As soon as I met this guy, he's about yeah. foot and a half taller. It just doesn't. It just triggers me. Yeah. Not really. Um, no, but clearly, what you guys are doing is super worthy uh, with individuals and groups and teams and. You know, that's your. You should be committed for doing that too. Yeah, I mean, mm. we've all got our own stories, haven't we? And we've mm. got ours of challenges and setbacks and totally. different to yours. And neither, you know, more. In Important, or it's our story. We're the yeah. author of our own. It's true. Existence. It's so, true. That's a and good if we can use that to, you know, to be better versions of ourselves and to help and others. Help others. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you can get some fulfillment. It's a double tick, that, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That whole thing around mutual benefit. Mm. Like, let's not leverage off each other. Let's look for the opportunity to sort of help mm. celebrate. You know, collaborate and and build something that's better together. That's great. Yeah. Good so words. at the you know in terms of leaving listeners mm. and you know, audience with mm. with something at the end of this like how would you how would you summarize this I imagine you've done this in talks and stuff before but like mm. what are the the key points that you'd want people to walk away with after this chat Well as I said earlier a couple of moments ago maybe I got ahead of myself because what I just said earlier and I'll repeat it is is probably the most important thing and and that is that and and, and it's you know it's easier said than done I understand that it's easy to articulate this, but it's it's difficult to do. But if, if, you, if you feel as though things are not quite right, rather than leave them, or rather than, and I don't want to simplify this either, uh, but rather than leave them and just hope that it all goes away, and or uh, rather than, uh, you know, taking up an addiction or, you know, sort of increasing an, an addiction, rather than doing that, just take time, think about it, think carefully about how bad this could get, which I know is negative, but hopefully that will give you even more strength to maybe think, well, maybe this is not for me. Maybe this is heading in the wrong direction. I sort of feel okay, but maybe this mm. is heading in the right. And so if, if you get to that point, then just talk to someone. Yeah. You know, because I didn't do it, you see. Um, just talk to your wife. You don't want to burden them, but you'll burden them in a big way if you don't, and in two years' time, the whole thing collapses. Just talk to them. Or talk to your brother, or your sister, or your friend, or go and yeah. see your dog. Just get, just talk to someone initially, and then work out where you're going to head, whether it be seeing a doctor, or a psychologist, or whatever it might be. You know, that's yeah. not... But, but just as importantly, if you see someone yeah. that you feel is... Yeah. And again, that's, this is a little trickier. We spoke about this the other day. Because I'm not an expert at this, and I don't profess to be. But if you see someone that maybe is not quite, you know, right, then maybe, and again, I'm not an expert at the patter here, but what I'd do is I'd go over and say, mate, how are you, you know, da, da. are you okay? And if they say I'm fine, well, I'm not sure what to do after that, to be honest. No. But if they say, well, not really, well, then there's an opportunity for you to talk. But I guess the most important thing is that if you get the opportunity to talk, you can't be an expert. And don't mm. give them advice yeah. in the sense yeah. of, well, have you thought of medication or yeah. what? It, but, but in a general sense, just, just maybe nudge them to have a chat to someone who's close to them. Yeah. And that will, again, yeah. again yeah. you know, at least get the process yeah. moving. Yeah. It, it, at least it'll get the process. Yeah. And then 
What happens after that, I guess, to a large degree is up to them because yeah. if I had have sat with my sister and my best mate and they'd have said, why don't you go to rehab? And I had have said, I'm fine. What, yeah. what do you mean? Yeah. You have to be yeah. self-aware enough to know that you, you can't be in denial. Yeah. And if you are in denial, then it makes it more difficult. And I'm not quite sure about the answer to that. I don't know. If someone's in self-denial, I'm not sure what the answer is. Yeah. I don't know how you handle that, yeah. but if they're willing to listen, at least you've got a chance. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I admittedly got emotional when you said that about your sister and your best mate sitting you down, because to me, again, that's mm. that's true human connection. Like That's true care. That it someone is. had that willingness to, to put themselves in an uncomfortable position. Totally. To say something that doesn't come easily because of deep care for who Totally. You are. And then yeah, I lived with her for three years after that. She, like, seriously, when I came out, I lived with her for three years. She said, yeah. just come and live with me. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, I had nowhere to go. Yeah. I mean, I was almost homeless in a way. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, it was. And, and it was an emotional uh, meeting. And uh, if I remember correctly, I think I had the spaghetti bolognese. But it was an emotional meeting. Yeah. And, and you're right. You know, when you really analyse that, it was about two people who deeply care. And also two people who, and this is important, two people who will say, Mark, get back on track. Yeah. They don't bullshit to me. Yeah. They don't patronise me. Kathy's annoyed with me for a reason. There hasn't been a lot of reasons lately, but it still can happen. She won't say, yeah, it's fine, Mark, don't worry about it, just keep doing mm. it. She'll say, mate, as your sister and someone who loves you, that's not right. Yeah. Or have you thought of something else? Let's check. That's true care. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing that like that's. I mean, for me, that's yeah, that that's all that I search for. Like that that connection with people, that mm. care. It's something that throughout my my injury and my six operations and stuff, the the people that you know, identifying that that inner circle, that support network, and the people that are mm. true, honest with you, they're there for you in those hard moments. Mm. Like you I, can't buy that. You can't. Like it, it's. Although I did pay for the meal that day, <laughs> which is quite annoying really come on let's not diminish the, the message with humor but no um, well i well let me say yeah. though let me say no that's a good point but let me say that without humor i wouldn't be sitting here yeah that's fair yeah but yeah. i take i take your point no it's not a criticism i, do, I guess no. i'm just you know it's it, it is something special when when mm. you can do that because mm. you know we all have our limits and, and especially mm. when someone's spiraling out of control, that can be difficult to be around. And when yeah. you know, you, you understand how far someone's willing to go for you to, mm. because of their care for you, that's mm. a pretty special thing. It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. yeah. So, Mark, tell us a little bit about where um, people can sort of find you. Obviously, um, out at Radio Italia Uno. Yeah, and, if they just want to hang manager. around out the front. Yeah. <laughs> they, can just, they can just sort of loiter out the front. Yeah. Well, well yeah. I'm, I'm at Radio Italia Uno. I mean, that's fundamentally my main job and, yeah. and, and I... And I do a little bit of media training, uh, you know, not a lot. I do a few talks, not yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, You've got your online course. I got my. You know, I have an online course. So where can people find that? Uh, well, thank you for that. I didn't expect you to promote that. <laughs> uh, that's on a, a, a platform called Mastermind, mastermind.com, and it's it, it just helps people. It's a small course, yeah. four hours. Uh, teaches people how to promote themselves through the media. So fundamentally, it teaches you how to be your own public relations firm within your business. Yeah. Go to a public relations firm if you want to, that's fine. But if you want but, to do it yourself... But not for 99 bucks. No, well, 97. <laughs> 97, well, no, sorry. Well, that's true, not $97, yeah. yeah. But if you buy it from the US, it costs you 140 because of the... <laughs> anyway, as I found out just recently, right. it didn't cost me that, but whoever bought it paid 140 But anyway, yeah. they were happy with it. Right. They were from you Chicago. some more marketing in the US then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm doing some... Well, interestingly, I'm actually doing some work at the moment, which is quite exciting with a guy um, who looks after um, entrepreneurs. And he coaches them. He, he, he actually one-on-one, -on -one, well, not one-on-one, -on -one, he has a group of 20. And he found out about me in some way, shape or form, one group I was in. And so I was actually part of his group last Wednesday where I talked to them about promoting themselves, which was great. I loved it. And I love coaching. Mm. I love teaching. I really do. And so we just did that over Zoom. You know, there's a guy from Chicago, Illinois, New York, uh, wherever it was. I don't know. It was great. You know, and they loved my accent. They loved it. <laughs> And uh, and so that that was a bit of a bit of a buzz, but that that's what I do, and and you know I just try to be as best I can, you know I still fall over, um, but and I have my dog, I have Toby, who's the love of my life, um, I have some great friends, obviously Kathy, my brother, my beautiful daughter, my wife, former wife, who I still talk to, who I love dearly, yep. um, you know uh, David's a good mate of mine from Melbourne. I don't have a lot of friends. Cam, dear friend of mine in radio. Um, and you know i have acquaintances but 
yeah, I just have a small group of friends and, and uh, yeah, and that's what I do. And I watch a lot of, not a lot, but late at night I sit up and watch a few Netflix programs, which does relax me, Yeah, does relax me. I'm watching a thing at the moment called, it's actually on Stan, uh, Better Call Saul. Yeah, you mentioned that the other day. So, yeah, I'm still yet to go back and watch Training Day. So yeah, 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 with yeah. Denzel. Yeah. Is that Denzel yeah. Washington? Yeah. 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 So Absolutely. anyway, so that Good yeah, call. that's that's what I'm doing and trying to keep, trying to lose a bit of weight, and I'm trying. Here you go. I'll leave you with this. So I'm smoking, as you know, smoking cigarettes, um, and I'm trying to give them up. Trying. Okay. Technically, you either do or you don't, but I'm going to get on top of that. Yeah. Terrific. Yeah. Love it. Thank you so much. That's I appreciate right. you. My pleasure. Good man. That was good. And so should we record some of that? <laughs> that humor oh, there. it was being recorded. So if you've been listening today and you've related to that story and, and you're looking for more information, obviously you can go find Mark. Um, if you're in media, you can go and do his online course, but you can also head to the show notes and find our ebook. Uh, so free ebook and it's how to go from surviving to thriving and Love some it. of those tools that are in there are hopefully be helpful for others that are trying to find their own path. And, Fantastic. Yeah. Mm.